This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 26. Today I'm joined by Curtis Zobel of Behind the Bow, and we're talking all things public land hunting, how to get after mature deer, scouting, tactics, and Behind the Bow. So stay tuned. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and it finally feels and seems like uh, summer has uh, summer has got here since the post-holiday uh, post holiday weeks have, uh, are, are upon us here. Um, had a good Memorial Day, and I, I have to say I'm, I'm seeing everyone's uh, social media feeds being uh, filled with all the deer work summer projects everyone's kind of kicking off, and uh, I have to say I'm actually kind of ahead of the game this year for the first time, not doing a whole lot of spring work other than some uh, spraying and mowing. Um, You know, most of my stuff will actually happen in the fall this year, so I'm I'm a little bit of a ahead of the curve my to-do list is still relatively long and just unfortunately it'll all have to kind of be crammed into the uh into the last kind of few months of the summer here mainly july and uh in the august months but uh you know it won't be too long until we'll start really kind of seeing those uh those velvet pictures hitting everyone's social media feed you know we'll be in the midst of the of the velvet rut i did get a chance to kind of get out and uh, pull a few camera cards just to kind of see what we have going on in on a few of the properties, and we got some fellas sporting some sporting some bone here in the uh, in the early stages of their of their growth, which just kind of you know just kind of fuels the fire a little bit and kind of gets you uh get you kind of jonesing for the for the season. You know, it's uh, you get some of these cool uh cool summer nights and definitely kind of gets you ramped up and thinking about getting into a tree stand uh, here in the not so distant future. You know, for some states, we're just about three months out. Uh, from crawling into a tree stand here in PA, I guess we're, you know, we have June, July, August, and all of September. So it'll be the beginning of October. So roughly four months 
uh, for most of us here in, in Pennsylvania until we get into a tree stand. But it's just around the corner, uh, you know, and we'll be back in the timber before we know it. I did wrap up my turkey hunting season here, the, in the I guess about two weeks ago. At this point, had a chance to get out with my dad, uh, which is great. We had we worked a few birds in the morning, um, but you know, unfortunately, the rains kind of set in and kind of blew us out. So, uh, an unsuccessful turkey season this year, but uh, but that's okay. Uh, it's just kind of fun being out in the timber, and uh, you know, obviously, a good time being able to get out in the woods with my dad. It's been a little while since we had a chance to do that, so definitely looking forward to doing more of that with him now that he has a a property up here in PA that he'll be able to come up and hunt. Uh, you know, whenever he feels like he'll have a place to go. So looking forward to spending time with him there this fall. Um, You know, today we have a a gentleman on that's joining us, uh, Curtis Zobel from Behind the Bow. I'm sure many of you have probably either, you know, kind of happened to uh, stumble across Behind the Bow online or on social media, um, you know, in in social media sectors, whether it was Facebook, Instagram, or uh, YouTube. they got a pretty heavy YouTube page or YouTube presence. Um, Curtis is is from Wisconsin, and I'm really, you know, looking forward to the conversation. It's, uh, he was kind of... uh, recommended to a to me by a friend of a friend of mine and I had been watching some of their videos you know prior to um, being connected with Curtis and uh, the one thing that really kind of strikes you is the amount of knowledge that Curtis has or you know the success that he's having I guess more than anything his perspective for someone as uh, for his age you know he's, he's a younger fella you know when we think of the hunting industry and some of these guys who are out there you know capturing film and really kind of getting after it uh, particularly on public land, you know, a lot of these guys are, you know, grizzled veterans, if if you will, uh, who are really kind of the ones pushing the envelope. And uh, Curtis is one of these guys who's, you know, holds his own with any of those guys in, in the industry, in my opinion. Um, and, and, and he's a young cat. And it's just kind of amazing that he has as much knowledge as he does. And it's workable knowledge where it's, you know, some some guys it takes, you know, years to kind of figure out the information and then figure out how to actually use it. Um, and he's one of those unique folks that he just has that passion, that grind, um, willing to put in the, the hard work. Um, that when he does learn something, you know, he figures out how to apply it and he's not, not afraid of the hard work to kind of make it, uh, make it happen and kind of, you know, all kind of come together and come to fruition with, you know, putting deer on the ground, um, easier said than done. And he'll definitely attest to that. But, uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get Curtis dialed in. But before we get Curtis on the line, let's hear this week's Whitetail Institute food plot tip of the week. Today, John shares three quick steps for preparing your seed bed. All right. With any forage planting, uh, the better you can work the seed bed up, the better you can present to that planting what I refer to as a ready-to-plant seed bed, an optimum growing environment, the better it can do. When you get to your planting date, you want your, your seed bed that you're going to plant to be in what I call ready-to-plant condition. And that means several things. Number one, always, is that soil pH has been adjusted if it's acidic. Uh, you, you, it needs to be adjusted to neutral soil pH. Number two, you want all the junk that was growing on top of the plot out of the way. Number three, you want to be at uh, proper firmness and smoothness uh, for that particular type of seed. Uh, the best thing to do is to start early. Uh, start in the spring, plan on planting in the fall. Start with a uh, soil test in the spring, work in your lime. That'll be working for you. Take care of your grass and weeds during the spring and summer, and you'll be ready to plant by fall. And that, folks, is a Whitetail Institute food plot tip of the week. If you'd like to learn which Whitetail Institute products might be right for you, head over to whitetailinstitute.com to check out their product selector tool to help you determine which forage will work best for your food plot needs. Now let's get back to the show. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and today I am joined by 
Curtis of uh, Behind the Bow fame. Uh, super pumped to have him on the show. Uh, he's also a buddy of uh, of our friend uh, Greg Litzinger, uh, who recently joined the Behind the Bow team. And uh, uh, Greg actually the one who kind of hooked us up. So super stoked to have Curtis on. How you doing, man? Pretty good, man. Good. I'm glad to I'm glad to be on here. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. This is my first podcast, so uh, bear with the uh, talking and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm sure I'm sure you'll be fine. I, I keep the bar pretty low uh, on my side, so uh, anyone on the other <laughs> side of the phone is usually always going to outshine the this the, the fool on this side. So, I, <laughs> all right, so I'm good. <laughs> I think you'll be all right. But uh, I know I gave just a little bit of an introduction of you. You know, you obviously have the behind the bow stuff that you that you're doing, and we'll of course get into that as we as we go. But for those that aren't familiar with you and and, and what you do, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a little bit of background information about yourself, like where you're from, how you got started in hunting, and you know what you do for a living. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm located in uh, East Central Wisconsin. I'm 26 years old. I'm a machinist. I make a bunch of stuff out of metal, a lot of parts for John Deere and Bobcat and different paper companies. Um, I'm not just only obsessed with bow hunting, but got to love the Green Bay Packers. And, uh, <laughs> are you a Steelers fan? I, I, I am a diehard Steelers fan. You guys got us there in 2000, what was it, 2010, I think? <laughs> the Super Bowl? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that, that, that one still sticks with me. Mendenhall, man. If he wouldn't have fumbled that ball, they were going on a good drive. But yeah, good, good for you guys. I always say if the Steelers aren't going to win it in a given year, I am kind of a uh, – the NFC team I, I pull for is the Packers. So, um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I like the Steelers too. There you go. So, so we, can, we can at least agree on that then. I think we, that's, we can that, agree on that. Yeah, that's a wrap, man. Podcast over, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I like uh, MMA and – I like to be active. I like to go to the gym, play tennis with my dad, all that stuff. Um, I, I used to get, I used to trap and fish all the time, and that kind of uh, escalated into bow hunting. I kind of got started. My dad started me out bow hunting when I was really young, and then I went with my uncles, and it kind of. Uh, they didn't have a whole lot of time, you know, to go out every single weekend and stuff with me, so I kind of just. Went by myself on the public lands and a couple little smaller private chunks. And uh, it kind of just escalated from there. And I didn't really get serious, like super serious with the bow hunting until about eight years ago, 2009. Yeah. And uh, that's when I really started. That's when I uh, found the Hunting Beast and Dan Infault and all those big timers and started really focusing on buck beds and scouting hard and, and I started caring a lot less about everything else and more about more about whitetails and now I really really don't have a whole lot of time for any of that other stuff I don't fish much anymore I don't trap anymore I just pretty much strictly bow hunting I mean I go gun hunting with my uncles and I made a video uh, on my uncle's gun hunt last year that was pretty cool that's on our behind the bowl YouTube page but uh yeah other than that it's just strictly strictly bow hunting for me pretty much i'm obsessed 
Nice. Yeah, you sound like you sound like a guy that belongs on the podcast, man. Some you know, someone who has some uh, some white tail addictions. I think we're I think most of us here are guilty of that. And I'll say, man, you don't have a whole lot of time for other stuff. I, I know we were when we were trying to get the podcast scheduled, your work schedules, you know, it, it leads to you being able to get out in the mornings and hunt, but you between the hunting and your work schedule, man, like you are you are jamming your days full and I don't know how you would fit anything else in edgewise, to be honest with you. Um Right. And, and I'm always seeing you out scouting too in the off season. So, I mean, I'm at, trying to fit in some fishing there along the way um, would be kind of difficult. But you mentioned you're a machinist. So I, I have to ask this because I have no what you would call uh, machining skills whatsoever, especially when it comes to, to metal. I had a bad run in when I was in high school with a. Um, even whenever I was working with wood with a lathe, which pretty much ended my, my machining po- possibilities <laughs> <laughs> right right then and there. Um, but since you're a machinist and you're working with metal, do you, do you ever make like your own stands or is that something you're interested in? Or is that something you've done in the past? Or I'm sure you've probably modified um, some. I actually, I mean, I've never really went into like super detail into like trying to make my own stuff. I mean, I, I definitely could, um, I'm definitely not an engineer. <laughs> right. I'm more of, I'm more of, okay, look at the blueprint and I can make this, you know what I mean? Right. I'm more of, uh, definitely just, uh, looking at a blueprint, but, um, yeah, I mean, I've always thought about making my own products and everything, but I guess, I guess, uh, I do enough machining the way it is. I kind of just want to go bawling, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> Fair enough. Man. I do enough, do enough of it at work and everything that I kind of just don't want to do it on the weekends. (laughs) Right. It's fair enough. Fair enough. So I've been keeping tabs on you a little bit, you know, here through social media and stuff. And I know, you know, we've traded some messages and so forth as we've been trying to get, you know, connected to get you on the podcast. And, uh, you've been getting after the, uh, the Kings of spring here pretty hard here the, uh, the past several weeks. So I just wanted to see how the, uh, how the Kings of spring were treating you and if you've had any luck. Yeah. Um, I actually, I called my buddies Chris, and uh, I haven't gone hunting with him in forever. And uh, we kind of just kind of went our separate ways. You know, he got a job, I got a job. He's got a girlfriend, and all that. And uh, but I, I was, you know, I was, was still friends with him and everything. We just haven't hunted together. And uh, I call, I call him. I'm like, dude, we should, we should go after the turkeys with a longbow <laughs> for six weeks straight, nonstop. You know. And, um, I guess, so we started, you know, getting tags and stuff. And, uh, I think the second week we didn't have a tag, but the first week I had a tag, I went, he filmed me and we got pretty cool. We had, we had two toms in at like 30 yards, but I mean, I, it was the first time me shooting a longbow and everything. I mean, I practiced beforehand, but I don't know if you ever shot a longbow. I mean, 30 yards is a polk and. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was cool to get them in range or, you know, it was probably in range for a compound, but I mean, I definitely wasn't going to be shooting that far with a longbow. And then, uh, the third week I filmed him in Western Wisconsin and we didn't have too much luck. Um, we did get pretty close on a couple. They were about 90 yards away, but it was pretty cool because we're running up the hill, like these big hills in Western Wisconsin. We're running up the hills and they're gobbling and we're trying to get in position, but they ended up busting us and everything. But, right. um, yeah, he ended up, 
having some run-ins with his work schedule and all that. So we kind of, we kind of, uh, didn't end up going the rest of the weeks here, but the first three weeks we, we tried. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I have, to, I have to say, man, that's uh, doing it with a longbow is pretty ambitious, man. Because I, I mean, it's a hard enough time for me with a with a shotgun. I went with my compound last year uh, with no success, and uh, a turkey is just one of those things, man. That they uh, they they are really good at keeping me at a distance. Um, oh, no doubt. You know, it always seems like it always seems like. They're super easy to get to, and then when you're actually hunting for them, <laughs> it's a different story. Oh, I know, man. Every deer season, I could, I mean, I could have my, I could have my, my pick. Usually, every deer season, I have them. Like, I almost had one. Uh, I think it was three years ago. Almost fly into me while I was in my stand. Like there was just a right. flock came flying in, and it saw me at the last minute, and like you know, dodged me. But I thought I was going to take one to the face in the in the stand that day. Um, it's I have no problem getting into them during you know during bow season, but when turkey season comes around, it's a whole different story. I mean, I have an added, I guess, challenge now where my daughter's eight years old and she's you know interested in hunting, so you know she's not you know old enough to really take deer hunting yet, and you know she can't pull enough poundage back with a bow. I mean, I take her shooting her bow you know pretty often at the range and stuff, but it'll be a little while before she's ready to go you know sit in a tree stand with me to 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 go after some deer with a bow. So usually turkey season's like the like the big hunting time for her because she has a little four ten shotgun. I can take her out. In a me- oh yeah, no, yeah, on a mentored hunt. So. You know, I don't get a lot of time in the blind because she's good for maybe like two and a half hours, and then she's like, "Dad, I ran out of snacks. I'm ready to go." <laughs> so, <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so that usually cuts my my time short. You know, unfortunately, I will get a chance here, um, uh, here at the, the at the very end of turkey season here in PA. I'll get I'll get a chance to actually go out with my dad for the first time in like I don't know what I was probably. Last time we hunted turkey together, I was probably a teenager, um, and it's probably been over ten years since we've actually even hunted together. So I'm looking forward wow. to that. Yeah, which will be, uh, which will be, uh, which will be pretty cool to do that. But uh, you know, let's dive into a little bit of into a little bit of deer hunting. As much as I do like some turkey hunting, I want to hear uh, how did your uh, 2016 uh, deer season go? Oh my, uh, my season was pretty. Uh, as far as my hunting goes, it was pretty lame. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, up until the end, but, uh, I mean, I actually got on some, I do a lot of trail camera running and shining and stuff in the summer just to try to get on, just to find some bigger bucks to go after. And, uh, I, man, I had some giants on camera, like a couple of them that were probably close to Booner range. And it's, I mean, kind of tough to find that big of bucks on the public land even here in wisconsin and so i was pretty pumped and the only problem was is where i was getting these trail camera pictures and i actually signed a couple of these bucks too is the problem is it was all public land that i never stepped foot in scouting wise so it was all run and gun everything unscouted i just pretty much had to look at a map and try to figure out where these where these things were located and how they're moving and everything and uh so my whole early season i pretty much focused on trying to hunt buck bedding areas where i thought these a couple of these big bigger bucks were um ended up probably going i think it was nine sits or ten sits in a roll well, I've seen a deer. 
And, and I mean, I'm hunting like out in this watery, you know, marshy crap trying to figure out, I mean, I'm hunting like specific, like bedding areas, buck bedding areas where I think they're going to be coming out of. I pretty much kind of go around these bedding areas with like a crosswind and I'll try to find some bigger cracks or some, or a rub line or something coming out of these areas and probably shouldn't try to sneak in close and set up with my lone wolf. And I wasn't having any luck. And a lot of times when you hunt like that, you're not going to see, you know, 10, 20 deer a night because I mean, you're not hunting, you know, a food plot or, you know, the whole bedding area you're hunting mainly just like a little, you know, a point coming off and you're like, okay, he's going to be better down on this end of this point here or something like that. And, uh, so I went 10, I think it was nine or 10 sits in a row without seeing a deer. I was getting pretty bummed. Um, and I was running cameras at the same time and there was a buck I was after. I named him the Donald. And, uh, I don't really, I'm not really a big fan of naming him, I guess. It's just more of a, thing for me to do to keep track of them, you know what I mean? Right, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I was after this buck called the Donald. I had a bunch of trail cam pictures of him in the summertime, and it was like, I think it was mid-October. It was, no, it was around the October 20th range when I got him, I picked him back up on camera on a scrape line, like five minutes after shooting light in the morning. And it was literally like on a totally different public chunk, like four miles away. Wow. And it was that just right there was kind of mind boggling to me. I was like, I can't even believe out of, you know, he, he's got all this private in between that he could be betting on. And I picked him up on a scrape line, like four miles away. I marked it. I mean, I marked it on the, uh, DNR website and everything. I was like, Holy crap. So then I was after him for a little bit and no luck. And then my buddy Skyler, uh, co-owner behind the boat, he, uh, he's in the Marine Corps right now. He's been in the Marine Corps for, this is going to be a sixth year. He's getting out in August, early August and, uh, for good. And, uh, so he came back a week, like, the Halloween weekend or the Halloween week. So we had a whole week to hunt. So I, I took all my time to film him during the Halloween weekend. And, oh man, that was some of the best hunting. We just, we couldn't, we had like, I mean, our goal was to shoot a two year old or bigger. And we had probably six or seven different two year olds that were like, and it was always like, 45, 50 yards away, you know, and it's like, oh man, just a little bit closer. We can never get them in. And then on Halloween day, we sat a ridge, a ridge top in between these two. It was, we were actually on the point and it was one of the best days I've ever hunted. We had like 13 different bucks. I think we've seen and two giant, big, big deer, probably close to, you know, 150 inches area range. And got really good footage of them, and man, that was cool. They were like, again, they're like 45, 50 yards away on top of the hill, and they ended up actually the thermals were coming up hard that day, and they actually ended up 
both busting us. But, um, yeah, I mean, if we would have set up a little bit higher. And then uh, after that, I had a few days to hunt myself. I ended up uh, getting close to a buck that I was after in England Snaggleys. Probably like a, I don't know, he was a good three or four-year-old for sure. I got trail cam video of him like scraping and stuff. He got snot blown out of his nose. It was pretty cool. But uh, nice. yeah, I was sitting on a a parallel trail along a, a cornfield, and there's a big ditch crossing, and it was the only water in the area. It was it's weird. It, it comes out of these rocks. I don't know how it all works, but it, like you'd think down below there would be more water, but it's actually up top where the water was. The only water in the air, whole area where I could hunt, and. I, I like to set up in there because, you know, when they're running all day, especially when it's warmer out, you know, they have a place to get some water. And I actually saw him and he crossed and he went down below to get a drink of water. And I wasn't set up properly. And I grunted at him. And that was the last time I seen him. I didn't even see him walk away. He just went down and that's all I saw. So I don't know what happened to him. And then after that, I, uh, my dad, I was going to film him for, I think three or four days with the crossbow and he ended up driving out to Western Wisconsin where I was hunting and it took him four hours. We were set up and, uh, we were up on top of a ridge top uh, between two bedding points and we had a pretty good two-year-old come cruising through it about 20 yards and he shot that one so that that was pretty cool we got a, nice. I got a video on that on YouTube and then uh, our buying the bull channel and uh, and then when I, I hunted a couple times before or after that and then it was gun hunting and I filmed my uncle's gun hunt and that led to uh, <laughs> I know this is a lot but that led to uh, late season bull hunting here and I I I just really have never had any luck late season hunting. I've always tried hard, but a lot of times the public land is just, they really aren't on the public land. A lot of times around here, like, you know, all the, all the fields and stuff are mainly on private and I mean, you can get those public chunks that the deer are coming off the public, but a lot of times they're, you know, they're pretty hung up on the, the big private chunks that don't even get hunted. And, uh, you know, big cedar swamps and stuff. And, um, I found uh, it was like one of the last weekends of season and I, and I was driving and there was this, there's just this pound of trails coming off the public. And I was like, all right, I got to hunt this. So <laughs> I, w- I went in and that I'm actually working on a film right now. It's probably going to be our best film yet here. And, uh, it's, it pretty much showcases my, what I just told you from beginning to end, the, the, my whole season and uh, I ended up getting a crack at a two-year-old that was off the ground, no blind, just sitting and it was just one of the craziest hunts I've ever been like craziest stories and I ended up uh, killing that buck and that was the end of my season. <laughs> nice, man. I mean, it's it's pretty wild. You, uh, it, I'm just listening to like all the different like things you had going on during the season. I'm I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, that's like three seasons worth of stuff for me. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Just, I mean, uh, I definitely, I 
pretty much go every every single weekend I can. I guess. No, that's awesome, man. I mean, good good for you, dude. I mean, if, I I would love to be able to get out get out that much, and I I'm all for anyone who has the opportunity to do that. There was a couple of things you mentioned that I wanted to kind of pick your brain about. So, sure. One, well, one was just kind of agreeing with you and saying, you know, that the public land late season hunting is is a challenge. Like for me, it's like I've tended, I guess I've kind of, I kind of put my chips in the Ohio public land basket nowadays, I guess you could say, um, for me Mm -hmm. living in PA where hunting's uh, a lot of heritage in terms of hunting, but just not a lot of great hunting in in a lot of cases. Um, or at least compared to, you know, when you start hitting some of the Midwestern States. So I'll hunt some public land around where I live. And then we do have a farm, you know, back home uh, that my my in-laws own. And, uh, you know, so I will go back for some weekends and hunt and hunt that. But predominantly it's, you know, I'm I'm spending my time out here and I kind of save my time. And then I hit Ohio and hunt some public lands. I've had good success there. And then late season, I will come back and hunt our farm because, like you said, it's like we there's fields that are there and there's some food plots in. The other thing is, is the way our family farm is kind of hunted, too. It's almost like hunting public land. So it because there's just a lot of people that hunt it. And right. so once late season hits, it's, I know everyone is pretty much done hunting rifle seasons over gun seasons over it's gotten cold. So all the fair weather kind of hunters that do hunt the, do hunt the farm are no longer coming out. So I basically have the farm to myself at that point. Um, definitely. Yeah. And, I hear you there. Yeah. And I've actually had this past year. I kind of, that was kind of my approach this year where I didn't really, I think I did two sits on the farm in October. And then everything else was public land out by me in the eastern part of the state. And then I went to Ohio and hunted and, and killed a nice deer. And then I came oh, nice. and hunted um, and hunted the farm for like three days over Christmas, over over late season. And there was one deer that I had on camera that I thought was was decent. Like he was one of the ones that if I were, if I saw him, I would I would take a shot at him. And uh, right. I had him on camera and. I want to say end of October, I picked him up on camera twice. And then I had him, um, during the rut on a scrape once. And then I had him in late season a couple of times, like after, after the season was over just to, you know, know that he made it through, but I saw him on the hoof twice in two days, um, late season. So I've kind of, I think I got his number. I think I know what he's doing. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to, you know, uh, play it cool until I get the right opportunity. And I think I need to, I think I know where I need to set up to get him um, next year. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. But the one thing I wanted to ask you is running trail cameras, right? So, you know, I know right, yeah. you said you, you're doing a lot of that during the summer. So, you know, like you were mentioning, public land doesn't often have, you know, food plots and stuff like that. And that's typically if you want to get an inventory on private ground, you're hanging them on food plots and stuff like that because you kind of see what you have going on. So how do right, you do that yeah. on public land? Like where are you like, how, where are you hanging them to kind of get your inventory? Before we hear how Curtis is using his trail cameras, I want to take a quick second to give a shout out to our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. Uh, with summer upon us and Velvet Rut kind of coming up, you know, you're probably considering picking up some new cameras for this season. And I would highly recommend that you check out the Exodus cameras uh, when doing so. Uh, they're preparing to ship their new Lift 2 camera this month, which is backed by their industry leading Exodus five year no BS warranty and a 50% off theft or damage replacement policy. The guys from Exodus are also hooking up all the truth from the stand listeners with a 10% discount on all camera purchases when you head to exodusoutdoorgear.com and use the promo code TRUTH at checkout. My no BS warranty to you is you won't regret picking up this camera. Great camera, great company, so check them out. And now back to the show. Sure, yeah. Um, well, the summer I mainly is when I'm running most of my trail cameras. 
And I, and that's exactly what you said is I'm just trying to get inventory. I'm just trying to find out what kind of caliber deer in the area. And it, you know, I really, I really didn't really get a whole lot of pictures within like the last couple of years until this last year. I really, I think I kind of got something down where, um, a lot of times I was, I was setting up like, okay, well, this is where I think they're betting and this is where the food source is. I'm going to put the trail cameras on a trail in between there on the public. Right. Right. Well, I'm now I'm focusing more on like, you'd be surprised. This is this, they're kind of stupid spots. Like you think you're like, this is a stupid spot that you can't chill camera, like right on the edge, like right next to parking lots and stuff. But if you, if you think about it, okay, you're think you're trying to think, I'm just trying to get deer on camera. I'm trying to get inventory and I'm thinking, okay, where are these deer going to be at night? You know, not right. necessarily. I'm, I'm not looking to hunt the, the spot. I'm just trying to get inventory. So where are these deer going to be at night? And a lot of times, and it's like right next to the parking lots and stuff in these stupid little spots, like literally, you know, sometimes 20 yards right off the parking lot or something. And I actually got some really nice pictures just right off parking lots and stuff. But I mean, obviously on public land, I, I mean, I imagine Pennsylvania being pretty, uh, pressured, but right. in Wisconsin, I mean, it's pretty, pretty pressured as well. And we, I mean, you got to hide them too. I, I did have one stolen yet last year, but for the most part, if you keep them, if you keep them, uh, you know, if you hang them high and, and kind of think, okay, you don't put them on just trees out in the open. Obviously they're going to get taken. You gotta, you gotta really think, okay, where, where are people not going to walk, but you can still get deer on camera and things like that. So, I mean, I, I use the stick and picks for that. You know, you can get them up in the trees and stuff. And, uh, that's yeah, pretty much, pretty much what I do in the summertime for trail cameras. Um, and then once I don't run too much of them, like early season hunting wise, um, I'll, uh, back them off. I'll put them closer to like private food sources and stuff just to, just to see what I get. But I don't want to get in. I don't like putting trail cameras like in your bedding areas and stuff, unless I know I'm going to like come back and hunt it. And I already brought my tent in there then I'll maybe plop a trail camera here and there. But I definitely don't run that hard early season up until they start hitting like scrapes and stuff. Then I really like putting them on the scrapes and seeing what I can get on those scrapes. And then, uh, obviously, uh, during the rut, I like to put them on like funnels and stuff, but not usually I don't put the trail cameras where I hunt. Usually I, I try to keep them away from all my hunting areas. So when I'm checking them and stuff, I'm not, you know, ruining anything. Right. So it sounds like whenever you're getting your inventory, you're finding places where you think deer are just going to travel and then you're just trying to use your woodsmanship or any maybe scouting you've done the year prior and understand, okay, so if they're ending up here, they're likely coming from here because I know there's there's probably a bedding area over in in this spot and then here are the terrain features they're probably going to use to get there, right? Is that kind of a fair kind of think about it? Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, a lot of times... I think though in the summer, you know, they're obviously going to be bedding a lot closer to the food sources and not so much in a lot of the areas that I'm going to be hunting. So, I mean, these are just 
just random spots, I guess, you know, closer to the food sources and kind of weird spots where I get the pictures in the summertime. But then, right, like what you said, earlier in the season, I don't run too much show cameras, but, you know, I say, okay, I found a big buck bat or whatever off this point, you know, in the off season, and I'm going to plop a trail camera on a trail coming from that point to this bean field and, Oh, look, I got him on camera at 8 p.m. or whatever. I eat. He's probably bedded there, and then I'll go hunt it. I mean, I've never really had too much luck doing that, but, um, yeah, that, that's what take, I do. only takes once, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Right, so... I know, you know, it's, it's funny cause you know, some, you know, some of the folks I hunt with will, you know, whenever I say I, I kind of, you know, I, I kind of prefer to hunt public land these days, it seems like, and they, they kind of think I'm a little nutty just because I, you know, I do have access to some private ground and we have some food plots and we, you know, do that type of stuff. Um, you know, but for me, it's, there's this challenge that, you know, that public land uh, presents and there's also something about it just being, um, a public and that it's, it's there for us to use. And I feel like we should, you know, take advantage of it. But I, I was curious what it is about public land that kind of gets you going or what, what kind of is the draw for you to hunt, you know, primarily what it sounds like, you know, almost, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but almost exclusively public land. So what is it that draws you to that? Yeah, that, um, I guess, um, I guess you could look at my 2015 season, and that will explain that question down to the T where I had a small private chunk. It was about 25 acres that I had access to hunt and I ended up putting a food plot in and, you know, there's something about putting food plots in and like, get, you know, getting trail camera pictures and stuff and, and having your own property to hunt without anyone, you know, screwing around or anything there's something about that that's cool, obviously. I mean, right. you know, farming for whitetails is pretty cool. It's just, the thing is, is like, so that year it was opening day and I was sitting, I was sitting in the food plot opening night and I had this pretty decent three year, I think it was a three year old, two or three year old. I shot, I ended up shining him in the summertime, but he ended up doing, you know, reading the script. He wrote, walked down the edge of the wood line, came right in front of me at 20 yards. And there's just something about that. Like, it just, I don't know. I mean, I, I literally could, I feel like I could have told anyone, Hey, just go sit in this tree stand and you know, you're going to be on deer. And I ended up passing that deer and I mean, it was opening night and I was like, yeah, I think I don't, I don't feel like shooting this for some reason. Right. And so then a couple weeks later, I ended up I ended up scouting this property way back in the public swamp, and in the springtime, so I ended up kayaking down a river, long ways, and walking through water up to my knees for a long ways. Ended up, you know, I had bedding marked on my GPS, and I walked in with a crosswind, kind of running and guiding and set up accordingly and everything just fell into plan and lo and behold some bucks came out a nice two-year-old i ended up shooting him and it was like the reward and he was actually smaller than the one i passed in the food plot but like what you're saying it's just it's just so much more rewarding and i feel like 
it's an adventure and you continue to learn more and you get to travel around and experience new things and new terrain. And it's just, it's so much, I just, I just find it a lot, a lot fun, more fun, you know, hunting public land than private property, I guess. Right. I think there's a couple things you said there that I a hundred percent agree with. One is just, the challenge of it, right? It's rewarding. Like you got to put in the work. It doesn't just, there's not a deer that follows the script. If it follows the script because you did your homework and you put yourself in the right spot, you know what I mean? Exactly. That's when they they follow the script. Um, not everyone else can do it, which is another kind of reason I enjoy it. Right. Is, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, if you take a nice deer on a piece of public land, that's a little bit of a feather in your cap, right? It's kind of like, you know, I I know what I'm doing, (laughs) you know? Oh, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I feel like you definitely, I mean, nothing against the private land, nothing against private land hunters at all. No, because I mean, they're they're smart animals, so they're hard to take no matter where you take them. You know what I mean? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You just hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy to shoot a big buck on private property, but it's, it's, I feel like you get to learn more and experience different, a lot different things on the public land. And I don't like to just sit there and be content with myself. I like to, I like to challenge myself and I like to, I want to keep learning. I want to keep growing. If you're not continually trying to, you know, improve your game. I mean, I don't know. I just, that's how I look at it anyways, I guess. Yeah. I feel feel the same way. I think the other aspect of it is I'm always, I always say this, I'm the worst shed hunter on the planet because I, and when I'm shed hunting, I'm, I'm scouting, uh, which is honestly right, the, yeah. the wrong thing to do. Um, but the reason I'm the world's worst shed hunter is because, you know, I'll take a walk on some public land, to, you know, in some areas that I think are, you know, bedding areas, if you will. Um, but I'm always curious as to what's around the next corner or what's over the next ridge, you know? And then by the time it's like, I'm done, it's like, I've walked 10 miles. I've not found a single shed, <laughs> but I found like three beds and like a bunch of rubs and, you know, a bunch of places that I want to set up for the next year. And that's kind of, I guess, what's intriguing to me. It's, you know, it, it, look, fortunate that I have the, the, the private access or the private land that I have access to, you know, no, there's no doubt about that. It makes it nice, especially whenever I want to take my daughter hunting and stuff like that. I can do it in a controlled environment. Um, right. Yeah. But there's the, I guess the allure of the unknown when it comes to public land. And I don't have just the 240 acres and then that's it. It's like, I can only hunt up to the property line, but like whenever I'm on public land, you know, when I was, I was in Ohio, like the land I was looking at to possibly hunt was in like the tens of thousands of acres, you know what I mean? To choose right. from, you know, and now granted it wasn't all necessarily connected, but you know, it was there for me to hunt. If I, if I felt so inclined, I could have hunted a different piece every day. Um, you know, which is just something I find really cool, you know, that it, I'm not limited. It's if I'm having, so if deer aren't moving on our farm, which was the case last year, which is why I didn't go back and really hunt on some of my week on some of the weekends. It's like, if they weren't moving on the farm, there wasn't anywhere for me to hunt there. You know what I mean? Cause right. there's only 240 acres. And if there just weren't bucks showing up, it's like, you can't hunt them if they're not there. And they just weren't on camera. I wasn't seeing anything, you know, until like the end of October. Um, and then very little on camera action during the rut even, you know, so it just wasn't a real active year. And if, if I was just banking on hunting there for my entire season, my season would have been kind of, you know, squashed pretty, pretty quickly. 
Um, yeah, yeah, definitely, hundred so, percent agree with you there. Yeah, so you, you'd mentioned, you know, that you, you know, when you're hunting public, that it's all the things that we just talk, kind of talked about, and that it's all these different terrain features and stuff like that you can kind of come up on that you just may may not know are there. Or you find something that's new. So, with that kind of in mind, what type of terrain, you know, are you hunting? You know, tell me a little bit about, I guess, some of the places that you're hunting in Wisconsin, and then even beyond. Cause I know you've gone taken some trips to like Missouri and such. Yeah, sure. Um, um, early season, I mainly focus on <clears throat> Wisconsin and, uh, I'm hunting mainly, you know, large cattail marshes, swamps, uh, bogs, cedar swamps, tamarack swamps. Just, just, it's not fun. I mean, what nasty stuff that, you know, you need waders and all that. Um, and then once rut rolls around, I usually focus more on in the hills and the hill country. I do have some spots and that's in Western Wisconsin, but, uh, I do have some spots, you know, that, I mean, I've killed the biggest buck that I ever shot in the swamp and during the rut, but, uh, I just, I really like the, it's just a different feel when you go all west. It just beautiful, you know, it's beautiful, the giant hills and, it just always seems like there's bigger bucks getting shot out there, and I definitely uh, I like to hunt over in western Wisconsin for the rut. And then, um, I mean, there's some farmland around here, but mainly all the farmland around here, uh, it's just kind of flat and, you know, open areas, and that, that's, that's uh, it's kind of boring. I don't really enjoy it. I mean, there is some public land that is farm, you know, farm property, but... Um, most of that is pretty much all privately owned. Right. So you're, it sounds like you're hunting a lot of s- swamps and then you kind of transition to hunting some, some more hilly, get, get some interesting terrain features and stuff whenever the rut rolls around. Exactly. Yeah. And then the Missouri, Missouri was, uh, all, well, I hunted some swamps in Missouri and then, uh, when I, when I shot mine, it was more of a hilly area i should say so how do you hunt the swamp area differently than you would hunt hilly terrain and i, and I asked because i've never hunted swamp areas before uh, most of the hunting okay. i've done is kind of like more mountain mountainous or you know ridge tops and you know deep hollows and stuff like that but nothing really ever that um i would consider a swamp but what's the what's how do you approach those two uh differently or i guess similar similarly even if that's the case right um I've kind of gotten, I mean, I'm obviously always learning and picking up on things and stuff, but for the most part, I've, the swamps goes early season. I'm trying, I'm focusing on bedding areas and buck beds. Um, I don't have a whole lot of luck. I actually, this year scouting, I, oh man, I'm banking on a spot that I found and I feel like I could capitalize on it early season and I know bucks in the area and everything. That's a different story. But, um, yeah, early season, I'm focusing more on like islands, points, little fingers. I like to focus on transition lines, you know, more on batting areas, getting away from people. You know, if you're walking through a bunch of water and stuff, I mean, if you're walking and you're thinking, man, this sucks for a half mile or whatever, usually like everyone else is thinking the same thing, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, if you can get away, 
you know, where, where these deer are bedded, um, in the swamps, that's definitely where you want to be. But, um, yeah, as far as like rut goes, um, I like to focus more on doe bedding during the rut. And, uh, I try to find areas connecting different doe bedding areas. Like say there's a point where I just found a whole bunch of beds and then, you know, I don't know, quarter mile away to a half mile away or whatever, there's a cedar swamp or a tamarack swamp and there's a bunch of beds like on the transition line of this tamarack swamp or cedar swamp. I'm just giving an example. I like to folk and I try to find the safest route from that bedding area to that bedding area or away from hunters where how bucks are getting from that bedding area to that bedding area. And there's usually some type of rub line or big trails that connect these bedding areas and I like to hunt those in the swamp and then also I mean if you're obviously hunting like the downwind side of you know a cedar swamp where they're bedded or a tamarack swamp where they're bedded or you know a finger that juts out where they're bedded if you're hunting the downwind side of that usually there's a good uh trail with some good rub lines and stuff on that that I like to focus on and on nice so if you're, I'm always curious to get guys' opinions about how they kind of start with a new piece of with a new piece of property, right? So you know, I, I know that you do a ton of boots on the ga- uh, ground scouting, but you know, when you're, yeah. you've got a new piece of public land that say you know you've never been on before, but you've kind of heard like, hey, or you've driven by it, right? And you say, hey, this looks like maybe a place I might want to check out. What's your right. what advice would you give to someone who found a piece of land that they've never been on before? How would they start kind of going about assessing that piece of land? Are you are you starting with an aerial? Are you looking at topo maps? Are you you know are you using any type of technology pieces, whether it's Google Earth or any type of other mapping technology that you're using to kind of get a look at these things? What's your starting point? Yeah, um, well, obviously the best I think the best time to start scouting is. Um, I guess any time, but, um, the best time to put, you know, boots down and actually go look at it would be, you know, in the, when it's, I like it when it's, everything's frozen, super cold, but, and so there's no water you're walking through or anything and no, and then no snow at all. And then, so you're looking at pure, fresh, a hundred percent fresh sign from last season. And you're, you're looking at, you know, all the human sign plus all the deer sign. You can see all the ribbons. You can see all the tree stands. You can see where people are walking. You can see trails, scrapes, rubs, everything. No snow is covering it up. You can cover ground really fast and easily without um, busting through, you know, sitting there and wasting a lot of time, you know, trying to get across the swamp or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, obviously the first thing would be to look at, like, a aerial map or a topo map. I usually don't look at too much topo maps for, like, the swamp areas because it's pretty much all swamp. I do occasionally look, you know, see where the higher ground is because there is islands and stuff out in the swamps. But for the most part, I'm looking at aerial maps and and then the topo maps and the aerial maps for the hills. But, um, I mean... You definitely want to, uh, I've always had better luck, um, the bigger, larger tracks of public land. I do have some smaller tracks that are good from time to time, but for the most part, I like looking for 
the big tracts of public land with big chunks of private connected. Like when I was down in Indiana scouting, I, I seen a bunch of, a bunch of, you know, public chunks that had tiny little, a whole bunch of like tiny little privately owned chunks all the way around the property. And if you think, I mean, obviously a couple of those people probably hunt and then hunt the public. So they're just walking right, you know, right off their backyard into the public land. They don't have to walk as far as we do, you know, from a parking lot or whatever. So I, I try to stay away from those types of areas. And I like to focus in on more of areas where there's bigger chunks of private property. And usually the bigger chunks of private property are obviously a lot less pressure. Maybe they only gun hunt it. Um, and a lot of times the bigger chunks, they, they practice some type of, you know, management or whatever. So I, I like to focus in on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first thing I want to do is look at, uh, aerial maps and where all the parking lots are located. I want to try to get away from parking lots. Um, and then I want to try to find, you know, potential bedding areas off of the maps, mark all that, you know, looking at Google and, mark all those on my GPS and then I want to go look at those. I want to put boots on the ground in the ideal time in the spring and go check those areas out. Um, I'm definitely in the swamps. I'm looking for transition lines, island points. Uh, I, I usually tend to walk all along the river bends. There's a lot of good bedding along the river bends. Um, obviously hard to get to areas and uh, in the hills, I pretty much like to focus in on all the points jutting out and then the top third. Um, yeah. And then I try to, once I get boots on the ground and try to figure out all that, how the deer are moving through, where all the bedding is, I like to pull it up on my Garmin base map online or on the computer and kind of get a whole view of everything. I'm like, okay, I walked, I walked all this. I know where this is, and it's fresh in my head. I'm looking at all the points, and then I try to figure, and then I start putting game plans together and picking out trees. And I think one thing is important for me is I think you got to always go in with a plan, some type of plan. If you're just, if you're just going in to hunt, just, oh, there's a bunch of sign here I'm going to set up. Oh, there's a bunch of rubs here I'm going to set up. I think you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. You got you to gotta put a plan together, and a lot of 90% of the time, the plan isn't going to work. But you can, you know, a lot of times the plan won't work, but then you, once you'll learn from the mistakes that you make and kind of put a different plan together off of the, uh, you know, off of the failed plan. And eventually, after you scout and hunt and you start picking up on things, you start to get a feel for how these deer are moving through areas and stuff. And, uh, it gets a little easier, but obviously it's still hard. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's a couple of things you, you mentioned there, man. Like one was, you know, the idea of kind of going in, looking at public ground that has, you know, farms that are a, a adjacent to it. That's one of the things that I actually did this year near our, near our family farm. There's a, a big chunk of public ground. That's basically there's our farm. There's the neighboring farm that would be to, you know, to the left of our, our property, if you will. And then adjacent yep. to that guy's farm is a big chunk of public land. You know, it's 
I don't know, I want to say it's probably pretty close to 2,000 acres or something like that. And so I went in and scouted it this year because I was like, you know what? Well, it's in a rural area, right? So everyone around there owns acreage, right? Like the smallest the smallest lot of acreage in that area is probably around 60 acres. I use the uh, um, Onyx maps, the the app. Yeah, same so here. See, yep, yeah. Yep. So I can see property lines and I can see how much acreage somebody has and stuff like that. So I started investigating it and, and recognized that everyone around that that public land has acres that they're most likely hunting their own property. You know, like you said, they're going to walk out their back door. They're going to walk in the timber and that's going to be all there is to it. Right. And so I was like, you know what? I should probably go scout this and check this out because I've never gone to check it out and see if, you know, one, if I see any sign of of hunters in there and two, obviously want to see if I see any deer sign. And I got in Mm -hmm. there and I was pleasantly surprised. Like I didn't see, there was only one spot that I saw any sign of, someone else hunting there so there was no ribbons you know i saw a couple of turkey shells or a couple of shotgun shells in, in the one section that i wouldn't even consider hunting anyway um right but and then i saw you know just enough rubs and scrapes that would make you go hmm this might be a spot worth checking out you know what i mean like it wasn't Definitely. polluted with it um but it was just enough that said they're that they're using the area and it seems like they're they're not getting bothered so Definitely. Uh, so i marked that spot yeah. on the gps and i'm i'm uh I'm uh, looking forward to this fall because I think I'm going to do a couple early season sits uh, in in that area. Um, One of the other things I wanted to kind of touch on was, um, you know, when I'm trying to figure out how to ask this. So you mentioned buck beds a couple a couple times, you know, so I think, you know, whenever people are looking for buck beds, it's sometimes hard to kind of tell, you know, what defines a buck bed. And I know, you know, that there's, when we look at buck beds, there's, there's almost like two classifications and this is, you know, pulling it right out of the Dan and fault playbook, but there's the primary bedding and then there's like the seasonal bedding. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, what are you looking for specifically whenever you're looking for, uh, for, for buck beds? Like what, what's something that you see as like a dead ringer that whenever you, whenever you're on public land that that's letting you know that you're in the chips for a buck bed. Okay. Um, well, I think one thing is, is I think, uh, I'm looking for obviously a bigger bed. Um, and then, but like, I'm, if I think back to when I was scouting this year, I'm thinking seclusion is key. Like, I, I feel like if you, if there's people around, that there's not going to be a big buck bedded there. Um, there's, there's, I found this, this tiny little island coming off of the mainland, and it always seems like they always have all the advantages in their favor. Like, it's always their downwind of the mainland. It's always, there's no trees. It's always a big bed, you know what I mean? So they always have the advantages and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, mainly I like to find big beds, you know, beat to the earth. And, uh, I like to look for big tracks as well. I I mean, big tracks don't lie, I guess. And, um, I mean, a lot of times you can look at rubs and those can be a little deceiving because I've actually kicked big bucks out of beds while walking and hunting. And they're sitting on on this, you know, little high ground up in the marsh, and 
they're the trees that you look at, you're like, wow, I would look right at that and be like, oh, it's probably just a little buck sitting there. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> but, I mean, it's actually, it was actually a nice buck. So, I mean, I, I feel like rubs can be deceiving, especially in the marsh when their, you know, feet are down in the muck and stuff. And the rubs are really low, you know, and you're thinking, oh, well, it's probably a, a little buck. But obviously when their, you know, knees are a foot, you know, a couple feet down in the muck, they're obviously going to make rubs, you know, lower to the ground. But, um, like what, what you were kind of, what you said about the, about the, uh, all the private landowners around you that are around that public chunk that all had their own property hunt. I think that that's the biggest thing I think is like a lot of people, I think will hunt an area or two and, and they'll just be like, well, this spot sucks because I didn't see a deer. You know, they hunted it during the raw or early season. But if you, like, put your brain to it and think, you know, about the crops and about the pressure and the time of year and all that, a lot of times a lot of these chunks that I'm hunting aren't necessarily good all year round. And it's usually a small window, a small time frame where, you you know it's a small time frame during the rut where they're good, or it's a little tiny pri or a little tiny public chunk that has a ton of human pressure. You know during the gun season or whatever, so there's ribbons and all that stuff. So people will walk in there and be like, "Oh yeah, this sucks." There's a bunch of ribbons and stands up and everything. But the thing is, that chunk isn't getting hunted early season. You know the first two couple weeks of the season, and that bucks better. You know. Um, you know, on the back there, but obviously those beds are a little harder to find um, in the springtime. You can mainly find, you know, the primary bedders. Well, at least for me, anyways, is I I can find the primary buck beds, you know, in the secluded areas. But as far as like finding like those early season buck beds, I think you almost kind of go. You have to go with your gut almost, and and kind of just go from there. Yeah, and they'll bed in the weirdest places. Like, I kicked one up uh, last year on the side of this ridge that I would have never thought a buck would have been bedding there, and sure enough, kicked him up. And I was actually taking my daughter on a squirrel hunt, and we kicked him up together. <laughs> and it was uh, it was, it was kind of – I had told this story before, but it just – I took I, – I went out in the morning, got in the stand, and didn't see anything, and I told her I'd take her on a squirrel hunt. Um, I kicked a buck up in, that morning. And then I went and got her right around, I don't know, probably like 10, 30, 11 o'clock to take her on a squirrel hunt because I promised her. Took her up in the woods and we walked up just to kind of where my stand was at because it was a piece of ground that was behind my in-law's place where it was kind of like we were staying there for the weekend. So it was easy for me to get out and kind of get some time in the timber. I didn't know if I was going to see anything or not. I scouted it a little bit, but there had already been bucks seen up on that ridge. So I just figured I'd throw a Hail Mary and, and do it. Um Came down, got her, went back up there, and we were sitting, you know, watching for squirrels. And then, sure enough, a Pennsylvania eight shooter walked by us at like twenty yards broadside. <laughs> no way! <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I didn't take my bow, and I was thinking of taking my bow with me whenever she when we went, because I was like, I don't have to carry the twenty two and the bow. I was like, because she can't, she's not old enough to carry it yet. So I was like, I'll just right. take my bow here. But if I would have had it, it's like she would have had like the whole experience, you know, like the you know seeing dead, you know, at least shoot at a uh, a bucko. I, I never say that it's a, a sure thing, but that was about as close to the sure thing you were going to get because it didn't get much of a more of a chip shot than than he was presenting that day. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So public lands. So 
the one thing that I think that scares people off or runs people off is kind of what you were talking about earlier when we started the conversation, which was the nine to 10 kind of sits without seeing a deer. You know, I've had that happen to me on, on private ground before, which is, you know, it's, it, it makes for a miserable nine to 10 sits for sure. But right. you know, public land in general is, is a grind, right? You kind of, you're, you're going in kind of knowing you're not going to walk into like high deer density and you're trying to put yourself in a position that if you see one, it's the right one is kind of like the, right. the, the approach I take. So yep. what do you do differently than others that helps you have success on public land and, and, and kind of endure that grind? Um, I think it's almost got to be – it's one thing that I always – it's your mindset. It, if you're not mentally prepared to see nothing all the time, uh, it's just not going to work out for you. Right. I mean – You know, I I always just tell myself it takes 30 seconds. It takes one hunt. Just keep, just keep grinding. Right. You know, I mean, you could, you could fail a hundred times, but it takes that one time. I mean, I've been like this last year, early season. I had so many setups where I'm like, oh man, this is going to be good. You know, and don't see a deer. Right. And then it's that late that late season sit. I ended up walking around three miles trying to try because the wind wasn't right for the trail that they were coming out on, but I needed to hunt that night. And I ended up walking around like three miles. I actually hunted this public chunk like a hundred times, and I ended up walking around trying to find like trying to pick up some tracks coming out of some known bedding areas. I know, and no, there was no tracks. And I'm like, where the heck are these things? I don't know where they are. And I, so I couldn't just walk down the giant trail that was coming out because the wind was horrible. But I knew that the wind was going to switch like an hour before it got dark out. So I ended up walking around, busting through the ice, and I was wet up to my knees. I was all aggravated. I ended up walking back to the parking lot thinking, well, this is probably one of the worst hunts I've ever been on. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go, the wind is switching. I'm just going to go sit off this trail. I was literally 150 yards away from the parking lot. And not, you know, in the dumbest spot, I'm seeing a chair, you know, with some back cover and everything, but it just, it was, I had no, I no, there's no way I thought to myself that night that I was going to shoot a deer. I was just sitting there till dark just to make myself sit there. And, Lo and behold, deer come out, you know, 25 yards away, and I ended up shooting one. It's like, it takes one hunt. Right. And I think I think um, my confidence was kind of running low. I'm usually a pretty confident person. Like, usually every single time you go in, I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm going to put the big buck down tonight. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you, you go in there and try to stay confident and keep a positive mindset. I think that's the biggest thing. And obviously, scouting, a lot of, a lot of scouting. Right. So there was one thing you mentioned. So it was like a three mile walk to get to, well, then to ultimately get to 150 yards away from your truck. But that's not, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, you know, I want to talk about access a little bit. Cause I mean, even on the most manicured farms, right, or the most manicured hunting properties, access is still critical. 
Can you, I guess, talk to me a little bit about how important access is to you on public land and how meticulous you are about your entrance and exit routes? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Access is huge. I think it's probably one of the most underrated aspects I think of hunting. Um, I mean, I'll pretty much go way out of my way to not cross deer paths. And if I do cross the deer paths, I mean, sometimes you have to, you know, if you're hunting a ridge up top, you want to come from the top, you know, because the deer are going to be coming from the bottom, say, and it's private property up on top. You can't come from the top and you know, the deer are going to come from the bottom, but you have to come from the bottom too. And, but that's where you need to be hunting. So, um, like in that case, I try to at least try to cross deer paths where I can obviously shoot to them. Um, I mean, I've got burned multiple times, but like say out in the hills, you know, you're hunting you're expecting deer to come from the bottom early in the morning. Cause that's where the food source is. And you're coming from the bottom. I try to walk, not, you know, most of those deer come up and they walk, you know, up the, you know, up that draw and then they go back and they go lay down on the points and stuff where I try to like walk up, you know, more of a jagged area where the deer trails aren't just to try to stay off of those, those main nice deer trails that kind of come up. And then if I have to cross those, I'll try to cross them where I can get a shot. Obviously. Um, I mean, I'm still trying, I'm trying to figure out access is so hard and I'm trying to figure out, you know, the best ways to do it. And a lot of times it really isn't a good way. Right. I've, I've tried me and Skylar, um, when we were hunting Hills this last year, I mean, we tried dragging scents across, you know, trails where we're going to walk and we tried doing all sorts of stuff, you know, just pouring out a big bottle of pink 69 right where we crossed the trail. <laughs> so maybe it, you know, it always seems like, you know, you might be able to fool like the smaller deer, but it always seems like those big does are, you know, something that you'd want to, put an arrow in it always seems like they they're gonna get you and i don't really believe in any like the scent killer and those onyx and all that stuff so i mean um i guess i just try to try to do as best as i can to try to stay off of them um the, my missouri hunt i actually is a good example is i tried to stay up top along this it was a long a private um, barbed wire fence, but it was like these thick, nasty thorns where there was like no deer traveling up there. It was just pure. The deer didn't even want to go in there. It was, so I walked, so I walked up along those thorns and to hunt the top of this hillside where these deer were. It was a river bend, and the deer were cutting in between that river bend and the top of the hill. So I, way before I even got to where I wanted to hunt, I cut up top along all that nasty thorn stuff and walked all along that whole thorn edge to get to my tree so I didn't, like, mess up anything down below or where I thought maybe deer would come from. And then my GPS actually ended up malfunctioning a little bit, and I actually went too low and actually went on the deer trail. <laughs> and, and then the those ended up you know, hitting my deer tra- or where I crossed the deer trail. But 
I ended up actually being able to kill a buck that day. Nice. Yeah, the one thing I I try to do because I mean it's uh, access is just it's no matter where you're hunting it it seems like it's one of the most challenging things, right? It's especially if you don't have any control and you're on public and you only have so many places where you can enter if it's surrounded by private or you know whatever the case might be. Is no doubt. I got a tip from a fellow the one time, which was, you know, he was like, wherever you're going, whatever direction, you know, if you've scouted it before and you kind of know how the deer, deer trails are running, he was like, you know, run in the opposite direction of them. He's like, because the last thing you want to do is meet deer head to head on the trail, you know, or travel the same direction or in the opposite direction of them. So if deer trails are running along a ridge left to right, you know, or diagonally, he's like, you want to shoot vertically across them. He's like, because you only ever cross each trail in one spot. You know, he was like, which kind of gives you right. less of a chance of running into deer as they're using the, the trail. And I've found that to be helpful. Now, it's by no means is it the best solution, but whenever I don't have great access, it's kind of the, you know, that's kind of the, the, uh, the method I'll take just to kind of reduce the <laughs> possibility of running into deer and then reduce the amount that I'll be cutting their, cutting across their track too. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a definitely good good point to keep in mind yeah that's a that's a jeff sturgis special there Everybody. jeff sturgis yeah good nice. fella. but uh so i want to change gears here really quick um to talk a little bit about behind behind the bow um so just as a, a disclaimer I'm a, I'm a novice self-filmer um, I, I figured that, you know, bow hunting for, for whitetail wasn't quite hard enough. So I should add a camera into the mix and just ensure, that, <laughs> <laughs> ensure that I'll get busted. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, it just add more for me to carry, you know, just, I figured it just wasn't challenging enough. So I needed something a little extra. That's not the truth at all. I thought it'd be kind of fun and it is a lot of fun. <laughs> I like it, but it's like every time I do it, you know, I, I get my camera set up and I'm like, why do I do this? It's like, I've never gotten anything on film yet. You know, it's like. <laughs> You know, it's believe me, I've, I've definitely been there. Yeah, it's like I get my stuff all set up. I'm like, why am I doing this? And then you know, I get a shot opportunity or something happens, and it's like it happens so quickly. I don't even get the camera on it because I always walk in. I guess the one thing good that I do is before I walk in, is I tell myself what I'm there for. So if I want to get footage, like say I've filled a you know my buck tag, and I'm just kind of you know doe hunting or putting meat in the freezer, if you will. Um, you know, at that point, I might say, all right, you know what? The footage is going to come first because I'd really like to get something on film. But if I'm still right. like in the throes of like the rut and I'm trying to get on a good deer or whatever, um, I'll walk into the woods and I'll tell myself, you know, the shot comes first. If I can manage to get the camera on it in time for the shot, then great. But otherwise, I'm going to make sure I have the shot opportunity first and take an ethical shot before I worry about the camera. Um, I, def- I definitely hear you there. I mean, I'm definitely not going to be passing up on a- a really big buck just because my camera's not on it, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right. I'm so, definitely not, I'm not one of those guys. Right. Yeah. That's uh, the camera wasn't on him. So I didn't take the shot. I'm like, yeah, I haven't killed enough big deer yet in my lifetime to, uh, to, to make that call. <laughs> right. But, uh, right. so I wanted to ask you, man, how did you get started with filming and where did the idea of behind the bow come from? Yeah. Um, well, I started filming, I've always had, I was always interested in photography and video cameras and filming things. I used to, when I was really young, I used to skateboard a lot and I used to videotape, you know, stupid little jumping off jumps and all that. And then when I hunted, I actually brought, you know, like these really tiny little Sony handy cams or whatever. And 
we didn't have any we didn't have any uh tree arms or anything but i i filmed a lot of oddball hunts with my buddies and stuff and i liked putting you know I think we made a chipmunk hunting video a long time ago with our bows. It's, 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 um, it's pretty stupid. It's got like a death metal in the background and stuff, but, <laughs> nice. um, uh, yeah, I mean, I always enjoy just putting like little videos together and I use like Sony Vegas and, and I, it's just something I was like doing. And then, um, I actually, watched a dvd it was a white knuckle productions dvd i don't know if you know white knuckle productions uh todd pregnitz is the owner of that and uh he i watched a dvd it was called the grind and it was pretty much him bow hunting a bunch of leases different leases you know in iowa and i think he was in ohio and illinois or whatever and that DVD, for some reason, got to me when I was younger. Like, I really look up, and I still look up to Todd. And I was like, dude, I want to be on White Knuckle Productions. I want to I wanna be on one of their DVDs. So I used to, and this was when I was young, like, quite, a, I mean, years ago. And I ended up, I always emailed them, and I was, I was sending them footage and stuff, you know, obviously they're not going to take my public land, not seeing anything, you know, whatever. And I ended up shooting one of the biggest bucks of my life in 2012 and ended up getting that all on film. And it was, I emailed them and told them and he's like, yeah, dude, we want, we want to put it on our DV. And that was like one of my biggest, that was how I kind of got into the hunting industry as far as like filming wise goes, I guess. And that was a huge accomplishment for me, especially being younger and kind of just changing my whole outlook on a lot of things. But, and then I was filming and hunting with them. I should say, you know, sending in footage and stuff for them for a couple of years after that. And then I kind of, <clears throat> my buddy, Josh Ogilvie and I, we kind of thought to ourselves, like, we should start our own, you know, hunting and filming deal. I mean, I can learn how to do all the editing and stuff, and I've done it a lot. And uh, so we started behind the ball, and we just really enjoyed everything bow hunting and filming, and we just wanted to show the passion. It wasn't really anything, you know, serious at all. And uh, he ended up um, – not wanting to do it anymore. He kind of was like, you know, the filming thing isn't for me. He just wanted to enjoy bow hunting. Right. So at that point, it was just me. And I've always, I've always had the um, passion as far as like showing my hunts. And I, I love to help inspire and motivate people. Um, especially like the people that feel like they're the underdog, you know, they don't have the land, they don't have the money. They don't, you know, they feel like, you know, they watch all these hunting shows on TV and, you know, all these people have these giant food pots and they're seeing these giant bucks and if you don't shoot, a, you know, if you don't shoot a four-year-old, you know, you, you're not a good hunter and all that stuff. And I don't, I don't necessarily like how the hunting industry portrays a lot of that stuff. And that's my biggest motivator for me 
is I want to portray the hunting industry the right way, you know, as far as, you know, everyone has their own goals. If you want to shoot a spike buck for meat or whatever the reason, you know, go ahead. I mean, whatever, whatever makes you happy, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not about making all these other people happy. And, um, my buddy Skyler has been with us for the, the, you know, the longest time while we started behind the bowl and he, uh, he definitely couldn't do much because obviously he's over in California in the Marine Corps. I mean, he always loved to hunt and everything. And he'd come back every year. I'd film him, but uh, he's co-owner now and he gets out in August. So, I mean, when then we ha- added uh, Greg Litzinger, obviously the bowling scene you had him on the podcast uh, a while ago. I listened to that, and uh, I definitely I'm trying to find people that are going to shed bow hunting in the right light. You know, it's it's really been becoming a rich man's sport, and I definitely want to put a different outlook on the hunting industry, is, is you know, and try to help and mo- motivate and inspire people. I want to bring out the best, you know, do-it-yourself blind films that I can to help. You know, I get a lot of messages and stuff, actually, and not only do I want to help these people, but, you know, I get a lot of emails and messages and stuff, but them emailing me and being like, dude, this is really cool. It helped me do this. That drives me even more like that. That makes me become, uh, you know, an all around better person, not just Hunter, but everything, you know, it just makes me feel like I need to step up my game and I want to, you know, just, it's something special. I really like it, you know. Yeah, man. I think, you know, one. It's. I think you portray it the the right way, and it's kind of why I was drawn to you know to your videos. I've watched, but I think every every single one of them at this point. Um, and uh, and uh, it's it's honest. It's authentic. You know what I mean? And I, and I think that I, at least I hope that people are starting to become more drawn to that type of to that type of content. Because um, right. you said where it's becoming a rich man's game or a rich man's sport, you know, there was a time, you know, if you go back to uh, the time of, you know, British rule, if you will, um, you know, hunting was only for the kings and the and the royalty. You know what I mean? They were the only ones who who uh, took took part in, in, in hunting. You know, it, uh, nope. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was definitely a rich man's uh, a rich man's endeavor. Um, you know, and, and that's, you know, another thing that's interesting is like you do it all on public land. And I think it's also why it's important that it's, you know, that we portray public land hunting as something to behold because, you know, some of the attacks that are on the public land, whenever you get out into the Western States and stuff like that, um, quite literally are trying to turn it into a rich man's game because if they remove our public exactly. land, remove our access and remove our ability to, you know, do what we love to do and what we're passionate about. So I think there's a lot of good things that you're doing for a, a lot of different reasons. And I love to hear that, that you love motivating people to go out there and, and, and get it done with, with whatever means that they have um, is honestly one of the reasons why I started the podcast was um, I knew for me that I had a bunch of questions about stuff, you know, that about whitetail hunting and that I wanted to learn more about it. And I was like, and I'm sure if I have questions about these things, other people do too. I was like, so maybe I can be a conduit 
and be the one not afraid to ask the stupid question and someone else can learn I, from it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I 100% agree with that. You Makes know what sense. I mean? So before I get off onto our, on, on a public land rant, though, I'll, 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 I'll cut short here and uh, before I get too, too out of my element. But uh, <laughs> I've kept you here for a little more than an hour, man, and I want to be sensitive to your time here. But I do want to see if you can give us a, a, hunt, uh, a hunting story. So I always like to kind of go on a hunt with our guests. I uh, wanted to see if you could take us on a memorable hunt with you and tell us what state you're in, uh, what time of year you're hunting. Give us every detail from the truck back to the tailgate. Yeah, sure. Uh, I guess I got two stories, and I'm only going to say one of them. But, um, I mean, I got a whole bunch of stories, but, I mean, two that are really, you know, kind of engraved in my brain. But I think I guess I'm going to probably bring up that Missouri hunt because that pretty much changed my whole outlook on, you know, going to different states. And so I was always just a Wisconsin hunter. I didn't really even had any interest in going out of state. I was always like, yeah, it'd be cool to go out of state, but you never really do it. You know, you right. just, oh, it'd be cool to go. And, but you're always just hunting Wisconsin. It's the same old. And after I shot my buck in 2015, uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to give Missouri a try and that's it. You know, I'm going to do it. I didn't have any vacation. Um, so it was pretty much weekend hunts for me. So I would I would work. I would get my 40 in Monday through Thursday, and I would have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. So I would, uh, I would work till, I don't know, 7, 8 p.m. on Thursday night, and then... I'd have my I'd put my forty in and then drive down. You know, it was like a seven hour drive to northern Missouri. And the first week there, all I did I hunted twice, once in the afternoon and once in the morning. But all I did and this was like uh, mid October and all I did was pretty much a hundred percent scout. Walked around, tried to find areas, you know, looked them all up on aerials and topos and everything and trying to put something together. And I was literally just trying to pick, to kick deer up. Like I knew my best option was to kill, you know, my best, um, my best, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know how to say it, but, um, the way I, uh, I don't know how to say this. The, be- the best, um, the best opportunity. Yeah, the best opportunity. Sorry, Sorry. best <laughs> opportunity. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, the best opportunity for me, I think, was the rut. So I pretty much um, focused in on that first weekend there, jumping deer. I just wanted to jump deer. I wanted to find bedding areas and jump deer. So I pretty much walked all along the river bends and I walked numerous different properties and then I started focusing in on the one property that I was, you know, jumping the most deer and finding the most sign. And then, um, the second weekend rolled around and I went in actually hunting. I, I put, I, I scouted and everything and I found it. I, I found a, quite a few good rut spots the first weekend that I was going to focus in on, but I didn't, I wanted to save that until, you know, a later date when, you know, they're actually rutting and stuff. So the second weekend I went in and I found this really good creek crossing along this river bottom. And 
it was it was pretty warm, but there was a good cold front that that night, and there were still crops up on the private field. And to get to this spot, you had to walk through like I don't know, it was probably a good hundred yards, hundred fifty yards of this just poplar swamp, and it was like you couldn't even walk through without getting snagged and everything. And finally, you know, I was walking through that every morning and quick story. I was, I was down by the, the creek before I went in to hunt the spot <laughs> down by the creek and I was taking a piss and all of a sudden a beaver slapped the river and, <laughs> and scared the crap out of me. But, uh, yeah, don't ever do that in the dark, but, right. um, um, so anyways, um, I hunted this creek crossing. I ended up seeing some really good bucks there that night, but they came out a different trail, like 50 yards away. And I didn't think I boarded up the area at all. I was like, all right, I think, I think, um, I think, uh, I might be able to get away with coming back. And I think they're going to come back for the morning. So it's going to be cold and I'm expecting them to come back. So I moved my tree stand, I don't know, 50 yards away from where, where I think they're going to come back. And I was going to set the, the next morning. So I came back in and I waited down the creek, kind of uh, comes back to access. I waited down the creek just in case they were going to come back across the creek there. But I waited down the creek and then I walked, intentionally walked through a bunch of like down trees and stuff. There wasn't any really deer trails there. But I walked through a bunch of, like, down trees and stuff and got to the tree and I ended up passing a really nice, really nice buck, actually. I mean, I don't even know why I passed it, honestly. But um, <laughs> it, was just, it was just one of those things. I don't know how to explain Like, I don't really have – it just – sometimes when you look at a deer, you're like, eh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to shoot that. And But – I kind of wanted to save, you know, I, I had so other, some other spots to hunt that I'm like, oh, you know, I don't want to be done. Right. So <clears throat> I was sitting there, I passed that nice buck, and then and then the days after that, that was a Friday, and then the days after that, Saturday and Sunday, I completely just, I mean, it was, it was started raining out, and I, I was hunting, I didn't see any deer, and I was sleeping in my, you know, I was hunting all day, six, and now I, I came back to my truck. Everything's wet, and I had to go find a, I had to go find a washer, you know, dryer place, a dry cleaners, and I ended up finding one right before they closed. And I ended up uh, drying all my stuff, and I was kind of disappointed in the whole deal, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I kind of wanted to save that that one spot, so I you know, for the next weekend. And then, um, I ended up calling one of my buddies from the hunting beast, Josh Beeman. And, uh, he, he's like, dude, you should go check out this piece. So I drove an hour to go check this piece out. And there's a bunch of people in the parking lots, you know, um, camping, there's a bunch of fires and stuff. And that kind of discouraged me. I was like, Oh, there's a lot of people here. And there wasn't anyone at the other piece. And, I, and so I went back to the other piece, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go sit the, the good spot, the spot that I was waiting for. And so it was a 
about a two mile walk down a horse trail. And then this was, I was walking. That's where, that's when I was talking about the access coming up on that, on the top there with all the storms and everything. Right. And uh, I was walking the top in those thorns and I, I ended up going down too far because the GPS was like, my tree is down there. And I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, no, I know it's up here. And it was, I'm, I was like, all right, well, GPS must be right. I started walking down and all of a sudden the, the point goes back up and I'm like, oh, crap. And I'm walking on the deer trails. So I'm like, no, I was kind of, I was kind of pissy about that, you know, to begin with. I was like, Great. Now I just ruined my hunt. So I walk back up, get to the right tree, and it was just a beautiful morning. Like the the view, you could see everything. It was all the leaves were all red. You know, everything was. It was like one of the best trees I ever sat in, as far as the view goes. Like you could sit there all day and not see a deer and be like, "Wow, this is great." Right. Nice. And and so I was sitting there. I don't know. I. I thought I heard some grunts down lower and then I saw some does come up and they hit my deer trail from the right side of me. And I was thinking like, here we go, you know, they're going to start blowing and all that. And they're, they're sitting there, you know, kind of looking around, smelling where I walked. They didn't seem too concerned, but then I'm just sitting there filming them and they're like staring straight ahead of them. So I looked to my left and I hear a stick break. So I looked to my left and here comes the buck, and, you know, the good two-year-old, two- or three-year-old buck, and I was like, oh, man, I'm going to shoot this buck, and I grabbed my bow, and he ended up, the doe ended up blowing, and I think they were blowing at him, but even though they're on my my trail that they, they're smelling, I think they're blowing at him, hmm. and he kind of stopped, and, you know, like, Huckered down, I'm like, oh, what were you running for? They kind of ran away, and I pulled back and ended up shooting him. And he went 40 yards, and I think, and he dropped, and that was that was the end of that. And I think the only reason why I like to say that story is because it wasn't the biggest buck I've shot, but it was it was the amount it was out of state, and it was the amount of hard work I put in and it was just, if you watch the video, the reaction after that, it was just like, Oh my God. You know, like it's just one of the best feelings ever knowing that a spot that you picked out actually worked after all of the stuff that you already went through. And it was just, it was a great, great day. And then, and then on top of that, to get that thing out of there, (laughs) I ended up, um, so I shot at eight in the morning. I ended up walking all the way back to the truck to, you know, to unload all my stuff. And I'm thinking it was just rolling hills up and down, up and down. And I, it wasn't like too steep of hills, but it was, you know, there's some good hills. And I had a decent horse trail to walk on at least. At least I wasn't like walking through a bunch of, you know, crap. Right. And I'm thinking, I'm like, man, I'm not going to get this thing out of here. And I had this little like, three dollar ho-ho sled from walmart and i'm like <laughs> all right i'm gonna i think i'm gonna try to you know put it on this thing and see what happens so i ended up going out there and putting it on the sled and i got about 100 yards and i'm like this is gonna work <laughs> so 
So then I started, then I started, you know, dragging it just normally without the sled. That wasn't going to work. And I'm like, this is not, <laughs> this is not going to work. <laughs> I got to think of something else. I was like, all right, well, I think I'll be able to go back and get a deer cart at Walmart or something. So I ended up walking back again <laughs> and I got to my truck and there was a, a group of hunters down at the end of the parking lot. And I'm like, man, I want, and they were there for a while. And I was like, I wonder if they got a deer cart. So I walked down there. They ended up having a deer cart. So they luckily let me use the deer cart and I went back and I put it on the deer cart and I still couldn't get it up the hills. <laughs> and, and I was like, man, I, I'm, and it was getting dark by this time. And I'm, you know, and I'm like, I don't want to be doing this in the dark. So I ended up actually cutting him up out there and putting parts of him on the deer cart and ended up dragging him out that way. And it, I was about, I don't know, 300 yards away from the parking lot. And those, and the guys, they came and helped me, uh, roll that thing the rest of the way and they're like dude we thought we thought you were lost and all that stuff so yeah i mean i was i was pretty beat after that but it was a it was, a, it was about 7 p.m when i got out of there <laughs> nice, and man. started driving home and even though i mean it was tired and everything it was it was a great feeling knowing you're driving back with a buck in the back of your truck. That's what I was going to say, man. It's like it's a good. It makes it all worth it whenever you got when you got a uh, a deer in the the bed of your pickup. It makes it it makes it all worth it. My favorite part of that video um, is your monologue when you're in the truck, just all ticked off, man. It, I actually laughed out <laughs> loud because I was like, how many yeah. of us have been there before, like? sleeping somewhere where you don't want to sleep, just had a miserable day. And you're just like, dude, this is awful. Why do I even do this? You know? <laughs> you know I mean? Right. But, uh, Hey and man, I, I, I do. Appre- that- What's that? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, that's, that's right. No, I was, I was going to say, I do appreciate you coming, uh, coming on the show. Um, I want to be sensitive to your time, but before I let you go, um, tell all the folks out there that are listening, you know, where they can find out more about you or more about behind the bow. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're on YouTube. Uh, just type in behind the bowl and you, a bunch of our videos will probably pop up. And I'm on Instagram. We're on Instagram uh, at behind the bowl and Facebook. Obviously, we have a Facebook page, behind the bowl Facebook page. So uh, you can you can check us out there. Awesome. Yeah. And I uh, highly recommend checking out the videos, the behind the bow videos. They're all awesome. Um, there's good storytelling in them. The, the, the videography is really good. Um, and it's just honest, genuine stuff. You guys are a good follow too on Instagram and be sure to kind of check these folks out and give them a follow on Facebook. It'll be well worth your time. Um, so, Hey, I appreciate you coming on Curtis and, uh, we'll have to do it again real soon. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Clint. I appreciate it. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I want to thank Curtis for joining us and be sure to check out the Behind the Bow videos on YouTube and give them a follow on Facebook and Instagram. I'll put those links, of course, in the blog post show notes. Also, I want to thank all of you for tuning in and giving me an hour plus of your day. Uh, Be sure to hit that iTunes subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. We've got some great guests coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, Also, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star iTunes rating. We'd be very much appreciative of your review. And be sure to follow Truth From The Stand on Instagram and Facebook if uh, if you're not already doing so. 
If you'd like to get involved in the show and have uh, us or a guest answer your questions, or if you'd just like to recommend a topic for discussion, email me your suggestions at truthfromthestand at gmail.com, or you can click the email button on our Instagram account. And finally, I need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Whitetail Institute of North America, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Special knowing to call up for damaged heads, broken letters, nationalize yourself in numbers, but I gotta get All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.